actually this time. Mm-hmm. I think Not so. Fake. Not pretend. Not for play play. Not for play play. But for real real. For real real. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's that time again. Uh, hello and welcome to another Tolkien with Friends. I'm Andy and I have with me Anna. This is the radio version. Yeah. I'm, I'm still gunning for that NPR. Yes. <laughs> you should do it. I'm just kidding. Um, but today we are starting the extended edition of Return of the King, the movie. But we're technically still in the Two Towers book. So, Anna, I don't know if you can see this, but like, we're like in here. Okay. We're oh in. my god, not even halfway? Yeah, so it's funny because we've been slipping, flipping back and forth between Frodo and Sam. So like... With Frodo and okay. Sam, we're here. So, like, percentage of that book, what would you say? I mean, with Frodo and Sam, we're, like, at the tail end. Like, we're, like, 80% through. Mm-hmm. But then, we- and then we're at the very end. Well, nope. Okay, yeah. And then we're, like, 90% through with the Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli stuff. Mm-hmm. Which and Merry and Pippin. Yeah, Merry and Pippin. They're reunited as of today. So we're looking like 80% average. Yeah, I would say so. We've got like one more chapter of Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli in Two Towers. And we've got the stairs of Kiddith Ungol, Shelob Slayer, choices of Master Sa- Are you counting as I'm saying these? Nope. Okay, one, two, three. Three more chapters of Frodo and Sam stuff. Those four chapters... Not including what we're talking about today, so that's after today. How many Mm -hmm, chapters mm -hmm. we have left in Two Towers. And I still feel like I was thinking about it, and I still like my idea of, like, if I were going to shoot it, that maybe, like, we we do a little bit of flipping back and forth at the beginning when Frodo and Sam are getting through the Eminemuel and the Dead Marshes. Mm-hmm. But then we spend a bulk of our time with, like, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and a little bit of Merry and Pippin. And then we get through, like, I would have put the Saruman stuff in the Two Towers movie. And then we cut back to Frodo finally making it to the Black Gate. And then it kind of shows you how long it took him to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, because all this other crazy stuff happened and then, because that's actually, because he's actually at the Black Gate when this stuff is happening, like the chapter, mm-hmm. this, these chapters. And then we leave it on a cliffhanger of him running into Faramir and him being kind of sus. Yeah, you mentioned that last time. Yeah. And then in the, and then in Return of the King, we would open with Frodo and Sam being like, oh my God, what's going on with them? Is Faramir chill? And then he's, and then he's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, whatever that was. In two towers where Faramir was being sus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway. Um, but before we dive into that, like, on that note, uh, Anna, do you have any overall thoughts about the two towers as a movie? Um, anything, did anything we talk about change how you felt about the story at all? Um, yeah. But... We talked to New Betta. Mm-hmm. I feel like I learned a lot more. That sort of like he knows so wove a better picture of what was going on because it does. It's it, it it from a audience perspective, it truly does just seem like a bridge. 
you know, mm-hmm. introduction of fellowship, big conclusion of Return of the King, and the two towers are just a bunch of tiny puzzle pieces that help you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the details about um, the Dead Marshes, uh, the details more about uh, the place with the horse people. Rohan? Rohan. <laughs> um, oh, horse people. You're giving me visions of like centaurs or like people that are half horse. <laughs> um, you, you know, it's like, okay, this stuff makes more sense for like character development versus like just like just being there, mm-hmm. which I kind of feel that way with the with the movie, but yeah, yeah, I feel that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm also just like super biased because it's like my least favorite movie. Yeah, it's you know <laughs> it's funny because there is the thing I think that I like the most about Two Towers and why it's probably also my least favorite movie is that there's so much really good dialogue that just doesn't make it into the movie in favor of these bigger action sequences and like you know more action or type moments you know Mm -hmm. like the whole warg thing and like aragorn falling off the cliff and helm's deep lasting forever and you know um Frodo going to Osgiliath randomly, and I'm like, there are so many cool things that are said that we lose. You know, like the stuff about how Gandalf gets back to them, you know, yes, which I thought was really is... cool. You know, that stuff like mm-hmm, stuff between Legolas and Gimli. Like, there are so many moments in Two Towers where Legolas and Gimli, they are genuinely showing, like, real concern for Merry and Pippin and being like, I don't want to stop running because I want to catch, you know, I, I don't want anything bad to happen to them. Um, so many sweet moments between Legolas and Gimli themselves, just about how they comfort each other. And, you know, when they're in these like unfamiliar situations and how they've got each other's back. And I just, and they, we lose that in favor so that they can just keep the counting game that they do, mm-hmm. you know, and they even make it out like, I don't know, like, Legolas cheats at the end of the game. Like, he shoots that one orc um, that Gimli's sitting on, uh, you know, oh. when Gimli's told him that he's, you know, beat him. Yeah. And he's like, he was twitching. And he's like, yeah, I've got my axe embedded in his nervous system. But what happens in the book is that Legolas is like, I don't begrudge you the game because I'm so happy to see you alive. Because they get separated during the course of the battle, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like... They're so nice. They're so nice to each other. <laughs> and they just have, like, dude banter instead. Um, so I think that that's... If I had to pick one beef with Two Towers, I feel like that is the one, you know? Mm-hmm. It just, we lose so many character moments in favor of big action sequences. and And action sequences are... Definitely not Tolkien's focus, and definitely not why I fell in love with the story. Mm-hmm. So, but then you know, I think a lot of uh, men do enjoy to Two Towers as their favorite movie. It's it's Josh's favorite. I know. 
don't know what my Josh's favorite is, but I know that he loves the Rohirrim, and it, I feel like a big part of that is the music, like the oh, individual well, themes are like so good, you know. That tracks. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Like <laughs> I know. I'm still trying to get him. Maybe one of his friends might want to come on and talk about the music of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Someday, it's probably gonna be. I mean, it's got to be Return of the King now because we're technically. And Return of the King movie haven't quite exited Two Towers of the Book yet, so we've still got a ways to go, mm-hmm. my friends. So, um, I guess we'll start with the beginning of the Two Towers film because uh, this Return is actually, oh my god, where I'm Two Towers, we're in, I'm holding <laughs> the Two Towers, so I'm confused. <laughs> You're right, it's Return of the King, people. <laughs> Don't turn on Two Towers now and be confused. Uh, yeah, we're talking about the first 18 minutes of Return of the King Extended Edition. And so that begins with the backstory of Smeagol, or Smeagol, um, and his friend Deagle. Uh, and that is based on, uh, like, obviously, we're way past that in the books, but this, they use this um, conversation, uh, if you remember way back when, in Fellowship, when Gandalf is telling Frodo about Gollum in the Shire, he tells him the story, you know, based on his Gandalf's interrogation of Gollum, he, he finds out this information. So that's mm-hmm. how they have the story. So they open it with the Turn of the King with them fishing, Deagle gets sucked under by a giant fish he finds the ring smeagol says it's my birthday deagle's like and in the in the story deagle is like i have already gotten you a present and it was more than i could afford (laughs) and smeagol's like oh yeah but it's my birthday today and whatever i want i get and so he kills him for it uh and then there's like a slow like a montage type thing of him turning into Gollum over time uh and it's kind of gross it's kind of gross looking but it, it's very Peter Jackson. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Anna, do you have the Andy Circus? Like, I know. That's the true. Circus, so. Yeah. Did, how did you feel about this as, like, the opening? Um, from, from like, I, I guess things are, are different looking at it now since we've, like, done all of these deep right. dives into Lord of the Rings. But I remember when I saw Return of the King mm-hmm. and I was just so excited to see Andy Serkis right. have his moment. Yeah. I, was like, I agree oh, with well, that. That's good. You know, they did that. They're, they're, they're showing his, his backstory. Um, but in the context of the storyline, looking at the perspective now, mm-hmm. I mean, not super necessary. You kind of already, know what he's what he's about we know how he got the ring um yeah and it's funny because we have so many of these moments trying to in the book anyway uh trying to say like no Gollum is not beyond saving and this kind um, of like reinforces that he's bad boy yeah it really does and so it kind of sucks um (laughs) because i feel like you know obviously if it were me i would have chosen to show more of like Gollum as he is now and him like being conflicted with himself Mm -hmm. 
I feel like, rather than who he was, um, and, like, him slowly turning into this monster, more or less, you know? Like, I, I you know, I do, like, great for Andy Serkis, because he's amazing. We and stand Andy Serkis. <laughs> we stand Andy Serkis. Um, he's perfect. And so, like, I don't begrudge him that, for sure. But I, I at least wouldn't have had him biting into that fish like that. Ugh. Well, I think you have, and I, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say it because I'm this way too. You're probably a little bit more sensitive to this. Or like, I could literally watch a human be tortured, and mm. I'm not phased at all. But like, mm. if animals are being hurt in like a TV yeah. show or movies, I'm like, I'll just skip right by that. Yeah. So I think you're particularly grossed out because you don't eat meat and he was eating a fish. Yeah. It's not that Corey for a meat No, eater, I think it's something about it's... his teeth as well. Okay. Like the close-up and like the flesh with it. Yeah. It, it's not for me. It's not it's for not... you. And that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah. Um... And then it has funny, like, what is it? Oh, I don't know. I'm sure it's some prop thingy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They had a Tywin butcher a real deer in (gasps) season one of Game of Thrones. Oh. He's like a vegan. I was unaware. He had to learn how to, uh, like, break down a deer for that scene. Do you know what I learned recently in a TikTok? This is very unrelated. But the Tywin <laughs> Lannister has played Phantom of the Opera in, like, a miniseries before. What? <laughs> he can sing? I don't know if he's saying. I think they cut the musical parts out of it. Well, then what is Phantom of the Opera? It Well, it's, ba- like, based okay. on the novel. Oh. Duh. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking that. It's okay. You're allowed. But, but it was going to be a musical, and then it wasn't. I just, I can't, I mean, he probably does tons of stuff in the UK. Right. But, but now I, I kind of want to find it. When, like, sneaky sneak. Be like, what are yeah. you doing? Yeah. Like, I was like, oh. Okay. Huh. <laughs> I, like, can't see it, but he's also so embedded in that role in my brain. So I know. I, I can't get, I, it's my prejudice. <laughs> True. But I might look it up. You should. Get that was funny. <laughs> oh, so, but, and then, anyway, back to Lord of the Rings and Gollum. <laughs> Total digression. Um, but when, so he's like being all nasty, right? Because he's like turning into Gollum and it's not a fun process. And then it's like, cuts to like, wake up sleepies. Like, it's kind of comical. Like the moment that they intru- mm-hmm. like, have a present day Gollum, if you will. Mm-hmm you know, with them. Um, And, you know, we really don't see a lot of Frodo and Sam in this section. I mean, it's only 18 minutes and they're kind of covering four chapters. It's, um, it's the very beginning of journey to the crossroads, which is what Frodo and Sam are up to the road to Isengard, which is basically cut more or less. You see some of it at at the end of Helm's Deep, but more or less it's not there. Uh, Flotsam and Jetsam and the voice of Saruman. So we're getting like part of two and then fully two others. But so, I mean, I get it. There's, there's not gonna be a lot of Frodo and Sam in this. Um, but there is, um, 
a moment. So they're on there to just contextualize what they're up to. So they've, in the movie, they've been let go by Faramir. And I guess technically um, in the mo- in the book as well. So they've, they've left Faramir and they're on their way to Minas Morgul, which is like somewhere you absolutely don't want to be. Um, and they're, they're on the way to what is called, referred to as the crossroads, which is where, you know, it's kind of like you go north and they go back to the Black Gate. They go south, they go to like the sea and Umbar and like those other places. They go to west and it's to Asgiliath. And then um, east is their road to Minas Morgul and the Morgul Vale, which is really icky. Um, and we'll see more of this chapter later. Not a lot of t- to touch on, but there is a line that when Frodo and Sam are talking about food and they Sam is talking about how he's rationed the Limbus bread and that there should be enough. Frodo responds for what? And Sam says the journey home. And then that's like the end of the conversation. And the book, it's like so sweet. And this actually happens in the Dead Marshes. And I meant to bring it up, I think, when we when it had Nubeta on, but there was just too much to cover. And I, I don't think I brought it up. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's um, Sam asking Frodo how long he thinks it's going to take to finish the job. And he says about the Limbus bread, I reckon we've got enough to last, say, three weeks or so. And that with a tight belt and a light tooth, mind you, we've been a free, a bit free with it so far. And um, Frodo's like, I don't know how long we should take to, to finish. But Sam, Gamgee, my dear hobbit, indeed, Sam, my dearest hobbit, friend of friends. I do not think we need give thought to what comes after that. To do the job, as you put it, what hope is there that ever we shall? And if we do, who knows what will come of that? If the one goes into the fires and we are at hand, I ask you, Sam, are we ever likely to need bread again? I think not. If we can nurse our limbs to bring us to Mount Doom, that is all we can do. More than I can, I begin to feel." And Sam nodded silently. He took his master's hand and bent over it. He did not kiss it, though his tears fell on it. I mean... Both are sad, I think. Elijah Wood being like, what journey home? And Sam having that sweet moment is like, those are both pretty, pretty grim. Yeah. (sighs) Like, because in the, in the, you know, the movie, he's just like, like it has it's almost like he's he's not obviously similar vibe as like Frodo's not worried about the journey home, right? And they they obviously accomplish that with the for what, you know? But I just think Sam's react, you know, he's like thinking this through, similar to Sam in the movie, but Frodo's reaction of just like, "Oh, Sam. Like you precious baby. Mm-hmm. We're not I mean, it's amazing that you think we can, we will have a journey home, but I, ha, you know, he has no uh, dream or hope that they, that they will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that Sam, like, holds his hand and cries over it. Your baby like, Sam. I know. I'm like, Sam, relatable. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag always crying. Um, oh. And that's pretty much all we get of Frodo and Sam. They eat a little bit when Gollum's like trying to hurry them up and then mm-hmm. they head out. And then we cut back to 
Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, and Gandalf, and they're riding through what must be part of Fangorn Forest as they approach Isengard. Um, I think that this is a nod to all the, you know how at the end of Helm's Deep, there's all the, like, Amir in the movies, like, stay away from the trees, and they clearly are, like, stomping on orcs. There's, like, a bunch of trees Mm -hmm. um, that the orcs run into. Mm-hmm. And those are trees that have come from Fangorn that are pissed at the orcs of Isengard. Um, and so there's this whole forest that they have to travel through. And it's not super big. They get through it pretty fast. But in the movie, they move it so that it's like right outside of Isengard. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the part where we see Gimli describing the glittering caves of Helm's Deep, um, which... If anybody listening to this, you should also go to um, Nerd of the Rings YouTube channel. He also put it on like Apple Podcasts and stuff, but I recommend the YouTube channel so that you can see this uh, because he does an interview with John Reese Davies and he gets him to read this passage as Gimli of him describing the glittering caves. And it's so, 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 so good. I don't even want to read it because he just does like, just go look it up. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll put the YouTube link in the description so you can just copy paste it into the that exact moment if you don't want to watch the whole thing. But it is really cool just talking about how there are these caves in the back of Helm's Deep that they kind of just use as storage. And as a dwarf who is, you know, an expert of mining is like, oh my gosh, if I could have like all of my family here, we could really cultivate this and like just barely, you know, he's talking about like barely chipping away at it to just release its full potential, mm-hmm. you know, and Legolas is like, you're weird. That's cool for you. <laughs> and so they agree to, um, because Legolas had a similar reaction when they were in Fangorn the first time, like, oh my gosh, like I could have been happy here if I'd come here in like a different time. Like I want to get to know these trees and Kimberly's like, well, that's weird, but I'm glad that's, that's I'm your thing for you yeah and so they at this point they agree to um if they survive the war because they know there's more to come right that if they survive that they will travel to fangorn and to helm's deep together on their little bro journey they're best friends yeah so i think that's really cute um but literally like Alyssa and kimley just do not really get to talk in these movies no <laughs> like this gets to make a lot of facial expressions and then Gimli gets to be a silly goose yeah Legolas is just like yeah he's always like in the background just like eyes and like <sighs> cheekbones just <laughs> you know <laughs> and Gimli's just like Brah! you know later we'll see that whole drinking scene yes that they put in there um but anyway, so uh, the road to Isengard is also the chapter where we see Mary say, Welcome, my lords, to Isengard. And there's a lot of dialogue that's cut from here. And honestly, uh, you know, all of these chapters, but there is a hilarious moment in the books where Mary, Pippin, Gimli, and Legolas are all like teasing each other. And I just think it's really funny. Um, because Gimli is just so, like, he does. They keep that, you know, it's um, Gimli that kind of interrupts, but it's just, you know, there's obviously more of it, and Gandalf responds first instead of Gimli, Um, but, you know, he's, like, 
Mary, he only sees Theoden and like the Rohirrim first. He doesn't notice his friends yet. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know. And, what, what's Carl Urban's name in this? Amir. Amir. Okay. Yeah. So they're all Mark. there. Okay. Yeah. They're there. Um, so he's seeing Theta and probably Aramir and like they he they brought like a small group of Rohirrim with them and while the rest are back at Helm's Deep or like getting ready to go to Edoras. And obviously Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli are there. And you know, uh Mary is talking he's like introducing himself in Pippin, who Pippin is like asleep and so he kicks him. Um and he's like, the Lord Saruman is within, but at the moment he is closeted with one worm tongue, or doubtless he would be here to welcome such honorable guests. And Gandalf says, doubtless he would, while laughing, uh, laughed Gandalf. And was it Saruman that ordered you to guard his damaged doors and watch for the arrival of guests when your attention could be spared from plate and bottle? Because you can see that they've been eating and drinking, like hanging out. And... Mary answers gravely, No, good sir, the matter escaped him. He has been much occupied. Our orders come from Treebeard, who has taken over the management of Isengard, which they use in the movie. He commanded me to welcome the Lord of Rohan with fitting words. I have done my best. And then you get Gimli. (laughs) Unable to contain himself longer, it says. And what about your companions? What about Legolas and me? You rascals, you woolly-footed and wool-pated truants. A fine hunt you have led us two hundred leagues through fen and forest, battle and death to rescue you. And where we find you feasting and idling and smoking. Smoking! Where did you come by the weed, you villains? Hammer and tongs, I am so torn between rage and joy that if I do not burst it will be a marvel. You speak for me, Legolas. Or, you speak for me, Gimli, laughed Legolas, though I would sooner learn how they came by the wine. (laughs) It's just, like, you know, them just being, like, super silly. We learn that Theoden is, like, wait, they kind of have a legend about hobbits. They call them, um, they don't call them hobbits. They call them Hobbitlon, or halflings. Uh Uh-huh. And... Then it goes on, and Theoden's, like, teasing him about the smoking, and he's like, I had not heard that they spouted smoke from their mouths. And then you get Mary, who, it reminds me of the part where, you know how they stopped to eat after they were, um, captured by the Urukai when they were escaping? Mm-hmm. And they stopped to eat, and they, Tolkien writes that, like, you wouldn't have known that they were in any danger by the way that they spoke to each other. And it, it kind of... They, he slips into that again here. He's like, that is not surprising, for it is an art which we have not practiced for more than a few generations. It was Tobold Hornblower of Longbottom in the South Farthing who first grew the true pipeweed in the, his gardens, about the year 1070, according to our reckoning. How old Toby came by the plant? You do not know your danger, Theoden, interrupted Gandalf. These hobbits will sit on the edge of ruin and discuss the pleasures of the table or the small doings of their fathers, grandfathers, and great-grandfathers, and remoter cousins to the ninth degree, if you encourage them with undue patience. Some other time would be more fitting for the history of smoking. Where is Treebeard, Mary? Uh, <laughs> I just think it's so, like, he's like, whoa, you're, you're gonna get yourself into trouble here. You're never gonna be able to leave this spot if you get married talking about the history of smoking. <laughs> yeah. And I just think it's really cute. Um, and, you know, it's like all cut. And that and that part's fine. You know, I it's fine that, it, you know, we get a little bit of the mayor. Like Gimli, of course, they used to like 
banter with him, but would have loved to see Legolas participate because he was also, you know. Um, And then they, you know, they talk to Treebeard for a second. In the book, it's basically like Theoden and Gandalf go off to talk to Treebeard for a while. And that's when Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, Merry and Pippin, they have lunch together. They catch up. And Mary and Pippin describe everything that has happened, you know, between then and between the last time they saw them. And basically, this is how we learn about how Treebeard and the Ents took out Isengard. Um, but obviously, in the movie, they just show it to us, which, uh, duh, like, that makes sense. Like, nobody wants to just sit there and listen to it secondhand, you know, for a movie. Um, yeah. And you also hear about how they were able to destroy basically everything, but they couldn't get a grip on Orthanc, like the tower itself. Like there's a point where they, he points out that there's just a few scratches or little like uh, flakes that they've been able to get off the stone. But essentially that this thing was built by, you know, the men of Westerness, like the men of Numenor so long ago, nobody really understands how it was built and it's impenetrable in a lot of ways and you see that by treebeard you know they are basically able to act as trees or you know the weather in how it's able to destroy things but like super fast so he's he's like taken out all of the gates he's taken out the walls he's unblocked the river you know all of that mm-hmm. everything is destroyed except for or think so good for the ends, I say. They're working real hard. Yeah, doing doing the damn thing. Um, but what I do like about this uh, chapter is when Mary is talking about his impression of Saruman, because when they first got there, he had um. When Mary and Pippin and Treebeard and all of them like they sneak up. <laughs> to Orthanc and the Saruman they figure that Saruman must have been watching his army leave because he's not in this tower they find him like running up to the the door you know and they uh, you know keep him trapped in there and Mary is talking about Saruman like reacting during the attack and he says his wizardry may have been falling off lately of course but anyway i think he has not much grit not much plain courage alone in a tight place without a lot of slaves and machines and things if you know what i mean very different from old gandalf i wonder if his fame was not all along mainly due to his cleverness and settling at isengard and aragorn is like no once he was as great as his fame made him his knowledge was deep his thought was subtle and his hands marvelously skilled, and he had a power over the minds of others. The wise he could persuade, and the smaller folk he could daunt. That power he certainly still keeps. There are not many in Middle-earth that I should say were safe, if they were left alone to talk to him, even now when he has suffered a defeat. Gandalf, Elrond, and Galadriel, perhaps, now that his wickedness has been laid bare. The very few others. Um, And this sets up the voice of Saruman, the very next chapter, and you get to see why Saruman is so dangerous, even when he's, like, in a corner. And it's really, um, because it's so shortened in the movie, you don't really get to see how that works with Saruman. You know, it just looks like a 
pretty regular, degular conversation. Um, and, you know, we're obviously at the tail end of Saruman's story, but we, I don't know if they, they, you know, they have, they added the thing in Fellowship where he's like trying to bring down the mountain, which isn't true, but I guess kind of shows like what Saruman could do. Um, but I, I just really love this scene in the book and, you know, it's one of those where, um, so for memory's sake, it's in the scene in the movie, Gandalf is trying to get Saruman to, you know, work with them, to tell them the secrets of, you know, he's like, you're deep in the enemy's council, tell us what you know. Um, and Saruman just tries to use all his powers to manipulate them, like with his voice and it's you know, someone on the internet can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is one of the extended scenes that was filmed during pickups. So if you watch the appendices of the films, they talk about um, how, I'm pretty sure this is one of the scenes where Peter is talking about the theatrical version has been delivered. They've already won all their Oscars for this movie, but then they go back to film to add in stuff for the extended edition because course peter does and um this yeah and i I don't blame him so so they go back and add the scene and i'm like okay well if that's the case why couldn't you give enough some more of it (laughs) because i just really wish that people a any scene with saruman and gandalf talking is chef's kiss and everybody should see that also christopher lee is such a good like Christopher Lee and Ian McKellen do such a good job of bringing these characters to life. Like, why not? Why not? Why not? Um, so you have the it's like it's like peak Tolkien's writing whenever the, their dialogue like these it's like these moments and whenever he's like throwing in like inspirational lines or whenever Tolkien is writing spooky scenes. I, those are all my favorites, mm-hmm. like the way that he writes these. Um, and so, you know, there's less dialogue in the movie. There's fewer characters in the scene, but therefore we kind of lose how Saruman's voice is affecting people. So for example, he immediately in the movie he immediately starts addressing Theoden and it it is words that he uses but like fewer of them and Theoden immediately says you know like we will have peace you know we will have peace when blah 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 um you know kind of being rude like being like screw you Saruman um but in the book you really see Theoden struggling to contend with the power of Saruman's voice and you see many of the Rohirrim swayed by it. So, you know, Saruman starts talking to Theoden, and Theoden at first doesn't respond at all. And then it says, the riders stirred at first, murmuring with approval of the words of Saruman. And then they too were silent, as men spellbound. It seemed to them that Gandalf has never spoken so fair and fittingly to their lord. Rough and proud now seems all his dealings with Theoden. And over their hearts crept a shadow the fear of great danger, the end of the mark and a darkness to which Gandalf was driving them, while Saruman stood beside the door of escape, holding it half open so that a ray of light came through. So he is, without saying it, he's getting them to 
you know, feel some feelings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's just, like, incredibly well-written. And then you see um, Gimli and Amir are the ones that have kind of broken through Saruman's spell. And they're the first to respond. And then you kind of see Saruman cracking after that. So you, you see Saruman in defeat, but then you also... It's like a example of how... Or like a portrayal of how um, Gandalf is now... Gandalf is now the white. Saruman is now Saruman of many colors. And he is not now like the head of the order anymore. It's Gandalf. And Gandalf is the one that holds all the cards, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I just love it. You know, just them... So when Gimli responds, uh, you know, he's like, the words of this wizard stand stand on their heads. In the language of Orthanc, help means ruin and saving means slaying. That is plain. Well, we do not come here to beg. And then it's like, peace, said Saruman. And for a fleeting moment, his voice was less suave and a light flickered in his eyes and was gone. And then he like chills out and is like, you know, this isn't a problem for you, Gimli. Don't worry about it. Um... And he tries to respond to Thay, you know, he tries to speak to Theoden again, but this time Aemir is like, he's like, now we feel the peril that we were warned of. Have we ridden forth to victory only to stand at last amazed by an old liar with honey on his forked tongue? So would the trapped wolf speak to the hounds if he could. What aid can he give to you, forsooth? All he desires is to escape from his plight, but will you parley with his dealer in treachery and murder? Remember Theodred at the fords and the grave of Hama in Helm's Deep. And then again, you see Saruman cracking. If we speak of poisoned tongues, what shall we say of yours, young serpent? Said Saruman, and the flash of his anger was now plain to see. Um, And so he's, you know, he's being rude. And so finally Theoden responds. We will have peace, said Theoden, at last thickly and with effort. And I don't really know if that Theoden, like Bernard Hill, does that he just says it clearly which i get like i don't know how he would say it thickly like we will have peace like like he can't get it quite get the words out um but then and several of the writers cried out gladly because they think that he's siding with saruman um yes we will have peace now in a clear voice we will have peace when you and all your works have perished and the works of your dark master to whom you would deliver us you are a liar, Saruman, and a corrupter of men's hearts. You hold out your hand to me, and I perceive only a finger of the claw of Mordor. Cruel and cold, even if your war on me was just as it was not, for you were ten times as wise, you would have not no right to rule me in mind of your own profit as you desired. Blah, blah, blah. You know. And it's funny, here, Theoden says, Lesser son of great sires am I, but I do not need to lick your fingers. Turn elsewhither, but I fear your voice has lost its charm. And in the movie, they use this lesser son of greater sires as an insult from Saruman to Theoden. Which I thought was interesting. Um, but then this is the part where, like, the risers gaze up at Theoden like men startled out of a dream. Harsh as an old raven, their master's voice sounded in their ears after the music of Saruman. But Saruman, for a while, was beside himself with wrath. He leaned over the rail as if he would smite the king with his staff. To some, suddenly it seemed they saw a snake coiling itself to strike. And so it's like, he he's like putting all this effort into not just what he's saying, but like how he says it. And, and it's able to like really manipulate people. And it isn't until he finally decides that like, 
to turn to Gandalf when like it all really like he this is where he like puts in all the effort you know he's using everything he's got and makes everyone feel as if they were shut out listening at a door to words not meant for them as if they were ill-mannered children or stupid servants overhearing the elusive discourse of their elders and wondering how it would affect their lot and even in that moment Theoden believes that Gandalf would betray them like he's going to go up and with Saruman and they're going to like plot how they can take over the world together um but that's when Saruman when so you know Saruman his last words is like will you not consult with me will you not come up and then it's Gandalf laughed then the fantasy vanished like a puff of smoke and he like laughs at him as like you should have been the king's jester and earned your bread and stripes too by mimicking his counselors he's like and then he goes ah me and it makes me think he's like cry laughing like he's because he's like Saruman Saruman's and Gandalf still laughing you missed your path in life ah me he paused getting the better of his mirth understand one another I fear I am beyond your comprehension but you, Saruman, I understand now too well. I keep a clearer memory of your arguments and deeds than you suppose. I mean, it's just gold, all of this. You know, trying to convince Saruman. He's like, he's like, come on, like, the the joke's over, dude. Like, uh-huh. game's up. Uh-huh. It, it's time for you, like, you, he's like, I'm offering, and he really is telling him that like, he can go free and do whatever he wants. Like, if he wants to go to Mordor, that's fine. If he wants to come with them and help, like, then he could do a lot of good, you know? And Saruman is just, you know, he can't see beyond his own treachery. He thinks that everyone is going to do as he would do, you know, and trick him. But Gandalf is just like, ugh, come back, you know? And he refuses, basically. Um, And that's, and Saruman tries to turn away from him. And he tells him, come back, Saruman, it said in a com- Gandalf said in a commanding voice. To the amazement of others, Saruman turned again, as if dragged against his will. He came slowly back to the iron rail, leaning on it, breathing hard. His face was lined and shrunken. His hand clutched his heavy black staff like a claw. I did not give you leave to go. I have not finished. You have become a fool, Saruman, and yet pitiable. You might still have turned away from folly and evil, and have been of service, but you choose to stay and gnaw the ends of your old plots. Stay then, but I warn you, you will not easily come out again, not unless the dark hands of the east stretch out to take you, Saruman. And his voice grew in power and authority. Behold, I am not Gandalf the Grey, whom you betrayed. I am Gandalf the White, who has returned from death. You have no color now, and I cast you from the Order and from the Council. Saruman, your staff is broken. And there was a crack, and the staff split asunder in Saruman's hand. And then he tells him to go. He's like, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> and at that moment, you know, I do like that in the movie they add Grimma, like Wormtongue being there, and Theoden being like, come on, you were once a man of Rohan. You, like, you don't have to listen to this garbage anymore. But in the book he's not really there but he does he answers the door initially and then he's the one that throws the palantir out the window okay and it's so i saruman instead of being at the very tippy top of orthanc like he is in the movie he's at like the window above the door i think there's probably like a tiny little Uh baby balcony right there and i think grim is behind him and he throws it 
And I think it's Aragorn that's like, like, Amir's like, oh my gosh, he tried to hit you with it, Gandalf. And Aragorn's like, I think he missed because he couldn't decide who he hated more, Saruman or Gandalf. So, you know, it's, uh, Gandalf is like, well, he's definitely going to be missing that. But he doesn't tell anybody what it is. Um, And Pippin sees it and picks it up because it's like, ooh, neat. And Gandalf, you know, does the same thing like in the movie. He grabs it and he wraps it in his cloak. Um, so, and that's pretty much the end of this chapter, you know, he, Treebeard promises to keep guard over Saruman, and that he won't let him escape, which I think is funny that he specifically promises that, because later we'll find out that he lets him go. <laughs> uh, everybody in Lord of the Rings is just too nice. He's just, just, just go on with your bad self. Yeah, I Even mean, Even if he, you've done me dirty. <laughs> Yeah, it's, like, at the very, it's, like, towards the end, um, you know, after the war is pretty much over, and Treebeard just figures, eh, he can't do much harm anymore, and then Gandalf is, like, we'll see. (laughs) He does. He does do some more harm, but that's cut out of the movies, because he dies in the movie right now. Yes, he does. Uh, Yeah, Grimma stabs him. And that's, and that is how he dies, just in a different location. Hmm. Yeah, but he does, he does get stabbed um and he like has the planter in his robe and so you know pippin picking it up first you know is significant because then later we'll see that he like can't stop thinking about it yeah um and so the planter is that saruman had is basically like his direct line to sauron that's how he got his orders and how they talk to each other um and it's one of the seven seeing stones, most of which have been lost. Uh, there's one at the Grey Havens, I believe, which is like west past the Shire, like where Círdan the shipwright is, who builds the ships for the elves to leave Middle Earth. Um, there, I think there was supposed to be one on Amon Sul, like Weathertop, where Aragorn fights the Ring Race in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think there used to be one there. Um, obviously, there's one in Orthanc. There's one in Minas Tirith that Denethor has. There's one in... There was one in Minas Morgul, so now Sauron has that one. Uh, I don't remember if Altus Gilead had one, too, or, like, where all of them were originally stationed, but those are the ones I remember. Um, but, you know, we'll see next time, like, why it's important that Pippin's the one to initially pick it up. Okay. And, um, but yeah, that's basically his cell phone, his direct line to, to Sauron, because basically, you know, you see in Fellowship of the Ring in the movie where Gandalf sees that Sauron has it and he's like, you shouldn't be using it. You don't know who I'll maybe be watching. And he, you know, they do the mm-hmm. flash of the eye like they like to yeah, do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think that'll be fun to talk about next time too because um, it's a it's another diversion from the book that the movie does, and I think it's it's like a diversion and also not, you know, as things are. Um, <laughs> but I do I do I like both honestly for that, um, and so at the end of this. Uh, in the movie, you see them riding off to Edoras. In the book, they're planning to ride to Edoras, which is like the distinction 
that will come into play next time. Okay. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the first 18 minutes and, like, 20 seconds of Two Towers. Nice. Return of the King. Cripe. You are Crap stuck on that. <laughs> I know. I will. Hey, look, I've got this book. Don't <laughs> right look at it anymore. Me. I know. I'll flip it over. This was Return of the King. I swear to you. <laughs> but it was also Two Towers at the same time. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> no. Any um, thoughts? Any Not right now. Feeling? Any thoughts about Saruman? Um, I... So, I gravitate towards the weird and spooky. Mm-hmm. And all of the stuff that they've cut out that are weird and spooky, I'm like, damn. I if know. only they kept that stuff in. I, I said it before, but I just think they're just trying to keep their PG-13 rating. I get it. So they cut all that stuff it. out. But um, the back and forth between Saruman and seeing him have like one final, you know, mm-hmm. play at power, I think would have been cool versus he seems in the movie, he's like so frazzled and, you know, right. he knows he's screwed and then he falls off the tower and dies and it's just kind of like, oh, okay. I know, that's that. But it, it would have been cool to see more of that. Yeah, and and you know Christopher Lee had it in him. Of and it's also funny because it's like, Christopher Lee was probably one of the only actors in like the main, that I know of, that religiously read Lord of the Rings. He like read it every year. He was so pumped to be mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. And then like, had to have it cut. And then they bring it back for the extended. Like, I don't know if that's, like, really the same thing, uh, you know, for him. And and then they don't even get to do, like, all of it. When right. he could have done it so well. And, even, and if it was a scene for the pickups, like, why not just go for it? Like, it's, you know it's not in the theatrical. You know it's just in the extended. And when Tolkien is doing dialogue, it's, like, really cool. You're just like, here, come on. That's, yeah. A little bit. (laughs) A little bit. Like, please. (laughs) Um, I wonder, maybe someday, there there are rumors on the internet that Peter has said. I've never seen where he said it, but apparently Peter has said that he would make, like, a super crazy edition for the 25th anniversary. (laughs) Um, with everyone I, looking like 30 years older well like with everything that they cut and like everything that they filmed previously oh. so like we know for a fact like A we know about that Arwen and Galadriel scene yeah. that was filmed we know that there was a version of Helm's Deep where Arwen showed up I'm glad they cut that but there is also a version where Eowyn was fighting in the caves so they did do something in the caves that could have been cool. Mm-hmm. That could have been mm-hmm. cool. I don't hate it. I'm at this point, like, I have, like, I know we're doing this podcast where we're comparing and contrasting, but this is really just for the benefit of, you know, if you haven't thought about the books after at all after watching the movies, or if you're, like, thinking, should I read the books? And this is me being like, please, there's so much good stuff in here. You can skip stuff if you don't like it, but if you want to read a chapter that's really good, it's the voice of Saruman in Two Towers. Um... But I'm at the point now where I'm just like, you know what? Just give me all of it. Give me everything that was left on the cutting room floor because I love these actors so much. And, you know, I love the crew and everyone that was a part of it. Just like, let us see all of it. 
Yeah. I don't even care if it makes sense. That would be funny. Even if it's just a gallery of clips, you know? And there's someone talking about them. Yeah. I would watch that. You know? Nice. Like, you don't even have to give it to me cut back into the movie. Just release what you got as is. I'm fine. (laughs) Of course. You know? I know you'd be pumped. Yeah. I think it... Because, I mean, I think that the reason that I... So, you know, I've said that before that I, I read Lord of the Rings first. And then I watched the movies. And I do, and I did reread them and have reread them, you know, more mm-hmm. or less every year since then. But I had, the way that I consumed, and you know, it hit me right at the beginning of middle school, end of elementary school. I think there's something about that time period, you know, where it's like sticks in your brain more than probably a lot of things. And the way that I consumed the appendices of, Lord of the Rings I think it's the reason it like fueled a love for the whole thing more than I thought it would so Mm -hmm. there were like Tolkien documentaries on there interviews with everyone in the cast and crew like production designs them building things I mean I just fell in love with the whole process Mm -hmm. you know of the making these movies and it's you know it was before YouTube certainly you know, yeah. so it it felt like, you know, like you couldn't just Google it. You had to pop in your DVD. And I'm like so glad that they gave that to us because it was like, where else were you going to get that inside look into mm-hmm. it? And I felt like I was fueled by that for a long time before I ever really started thinking about even the appendices of the books. And then, you know, I fueled myself with that information for a long time and then, you know, kept telling myself I was going to read the Silmarillion but only recently did that yep you know I just like there was so much to go through in that and like digest and think about that um Peter I know you're not listening but even if you just if you don't want to release it that's fine just send it to my email our gmail is tolkienwithfriends at (laughs) (laughs) gmail.com so yeah that's uh, that was the first eighteen minutes of Return of the King, and we'll be back uh, next time. I think next time we're just gonna do like a couple of chapters. I think we're back into that rhythm more or less. But you know, again, not exactly right because they, like I just said, this time we only saw the beginning of Journey to the Crossroads. We'll probably see more of that next time. Um, as well as it's going to be the the Palantir and uh, Minas Tirith. Okay. So, so yeah, next time it's the Palantir and Minas Tirith. Um, and then after that, we'll finally check back in with Frodo and Sam. Um, I'm I can't remember how the movie does it, but uh, the bulk of it is going to be focused on like Pippin and okay. Gandalf. And that whole crew. Understood. Yeah. So, next time, we'll see you for more Return of the King. Also more of Two Towers. I'm gonna be confused about it (laughs) until we finally can close (laughs) this book. Which actually won't be... So, we are opening Return of the King next time. Uh, We're also finishing the last chapter with 
you know, Merry and Pippin and the whole that whole crew. Mm-hmm. And then we're also opening Return of the King for the first chapter, which is Minas Tirith. And then the next time we're coming back to Two Towers for the Stairs of Kith on Golden Path and stuff like that. So we're now we're flipping back and forth between books. Damn. I know. I know, but it's what it's it just, is. that's just how that's just how it be. Yeah. So we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. And please seriously go check out Nerd of the Rings interview with John Reese Davies. It's so so good and i love that he gets him to read that description of the glittering caves he does it so well um and it just reinforces my belief that we deserve an audiobook with the original cast thank you for coming to my ted talk